of his fullness we have all received in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Pope uh, Pius XII explains that this is the Catholic faith, that we should adore one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. Uh, last Sunday I explained to the faithful in Sydney that uh, the reality of the Holy Ghost, Pentecost Sunday, but one thing is true that wherever one person of the Trinity is, all the other uh, two are also uh, there because they are inseparable. Uh, so where is the Son? There is also the Father and the Holy Ghost. Where is the Holy Ghost? Also is the Father and the Son. Uh, and this is a great uh, profound mystery in our faith uh, that God has revealed to us in the fullness of time. It's, and I'm going to explain this point a little bit, uh, that God uh, was not completely um, hidden to the Jews in the Old Testament as Trinity. We're going to explain this shortly. But uh, he certainly made it very clear to us in the latter times in giving us the the gift of the Holy Ghost to help us to understand this mystery all the more profoundly. St. Teresa of Avila says in her work on the interior castle, she says that once when I was reciting the psalm, I was shown so clearly how it was possible for there to be one God alone and three persons that it caused me both amazement and comfort. It was of the greatest help to me in teaching me to know more of the greatness of God and his marvels. And when I think of the most holy trinity, or hear it spoken of, I seem to understand how there can be such a mystery, and it is a great joy to me. It's a great joy for her to understand the inner life of God, that God has made known to us. And many of you know, that famous story, uh, in the, a true story in the life of St. Augustine. One day as Bishop is walking along the sea and he's thinking about this mystery of the Trinity, trying to understand more and more uh, this mystery. And he sees this little boy uh, running up and down the, uh, with his little bucket and taking the water in the ocean and bringing it back and trying to put it down some hole in the sand. And uh, Augustine approaches him and he says to him, well, what are you doing? Well, he says, I'm trying to empty the ocean, the entire ocean, into this little hole. And Augustine laughs at him. He says, this is not possible. And the little boy said, any more is it possible for you to empty the great mystery of the Trinity into your small little head? And then the boy disappeared. Well, he understood what, what God was trying to tell him. It wasn't necessarily a rebuke. In fact, it was a praise. God sent him this great and little uh, marvelous miracle in front of him to understand that, yes, his works, his thoughts his, uh, are praiseworthy, but our thoughts are always going to be limited. You know, often you see this question people ask, the, the unanswerable question, which is, who made God? We, uh, we say God made me, but who made God? Well, the answer to that is actually, you're looking at God as though he were a creature. That's the problem. Why is it unanswerable? Because as Senator Thomas Aquinas explains that when we speak about God existing, and we speak about me and you existing, we don't exist in the same way that God exists. Uh, God exists on a totally different modality that is beyond us. We participate as creatures in existence. He is existence itself. God is not in the same being as us, is not in the same mode of existence as us. 
So when we ask that question, we are asking it in the same way as well, who made the dog, who made my parents. We, we are putting God on our level. And this is why that question as such for us is unanswerable because it's incomprehensible. How does God exist? Well, he doesn't exist in the way that we exist. Uh, it's only by participation in his existence that we exist. Romano Guardiani explaining in his works on the, on, uh, the life of St. Augustine, he says, regarding the Trinity, God contemplates the one which is all, that is himself. He contemplates it and expresses what he contemplates in a luminous clarity and a holy beauty in the form uh, born of heart and spirit, at once most powerful and most delicate, that is, the word. And since God is the absolute all-creating one, his speech, his speech begets, it creates. His word is alive and real. Thus, God's life assumes a personal form. He is the speaking God and the spoken word, the Father and the Son. And as I explained last week, the bond between the two is the Holy Ghost, with this uh, eternal reality that you say um, is like the glue between them is the Holy Ghost, proceeding from the Father and the Son. God himself did reveal to the Jews about himself in the Old Testament. Uh, often we, we uh, attack today by Jews or Muslims about this belief that there is three persons and one God. And uh, obviously the Muslims, they, they, their concept of, of what they think we believe is actually false. But the Jews uh, were not ignorant of the Trinity in the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, the very, very beginning of the uh, book of Genesis, God is referred to by the Jews because God told, him, uh, uh, told them he is Elohim. God. But the word Elohim in Hebrew, it's a plural word. In fact, in the singular form, it's Eloah. But they never use the word Eloah. They use Elohim, plural form. And you know, God says, let us make man in our image. Who is us? Why does he say, let us make man in our image? Because there is us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And it's not just some royal expression. God never speaks about himself in such a way unless he's pointing to something far more profound. But there are many verses in the Old Testament that clearly indicate to us there's certainly more than one person in God. But in the book of Psalms, second chapter, the Lord said to me, Thou art my son, and this day have I begotten thee. And the more profound text in the Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. It's this verse that our Lord says refers to him. He points out to the Jews, well, who is David speaking about here? And the Jews say, well, his son. And our Lord said he can't be his son because the father never calls his son Lord. So he's obviously superior to David. Who is he? He is the Messiah, who is also the personification of God. And again, Isaiah is even more clearer he says, a child is born to us and a son is given to us and the government is upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, God the Mighty, the Father of the world to come, the Prince of Peace. God the Almighty. No, no term ever in the Old Testament 
is ever like that used to refer to any created being. It refers to God, God the Almighty. Uh, he will be born, and yet he's uncreated. Uh, uh, but more profoundly, uh, we can see that in the Old Testament, uh, there's a text which, when our Lord recites it in the New Testament, he's condemned to death. So when the when the high priest says to our Lord, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou should tell us if you be the Son of God, Jesus said to him, Thou hast said it. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power of God and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his garments, saying, He has blasphemed. What further need we are witnesses? Why does he say that our Lord has blasphemed. Why does he say well, we don't need any more witnesses? He's guilty of death. Because our Lord is quoting from a famous text that they knew very well. He's quoting from the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel in chapter 7 says, Behold, therefore, in the vision of the night, and lo, one like to the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and he came even to the Ancient of Days. Ancient of Days refers to God. And uh, uh, they presented him before him, and uh, gave him uh, power and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples and tribes and tongues shall serve him, that is, they shall worship him. His power is an everlasting power that shall not be taken away, and his kingdom that shall not be destroyed. So they understood our Lord was claiming to be uh, this Son of Man. And our Lord in the New Testament, when he speaks about himself being the Son of Man, precisely doesn't say, I am a Son of Man, he says, I am the Son of Man. Which Son of Man? The one spoken of by the prophet Daniel. So they understood he was claiming a divine uh, authority. And here, uh, a more recent uh, a Jewish uh, scholar says that the Jews in general did entertain a logos, a word. And so were implicitly binitarian, that is, they believed in more than one person in God, in their theology. It is only the rabbis in response to Christianity that began to make this view heretical. The Jews already understood that there was more than one person in God. They didn't understand it with the clarity that we have in the New Testament. And that's thanks to, again, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of the Holy Ghost, giving us that clarity. They certainly understood it. It wasn't something foreign to them. Uh, and in fact, something I, I kind of mentioned to you before, that's why our Lord seems to downplay a lot of the time when he does things which only God can do. Our Lord downplays it because once it's his way, uh, for example, when he forgives sin, only God forgives sin. And our Lord just downplays it by saying, well, what's it easier for me to do? Tell him, take your mat and walk or your sins are forgiven you. Well, only God can forgive sins. But our Lord downplays it because the Jews knew that there was more than one person in God. And our Lord is a living uh, embodiment of that. He is the Word of God. And they already, again, they already saw in the Old Testament examples of this, where um, you see uh, uh, Abraham. Uh, uh, God uh, appears in the form of angels to Abraham. Uh, they already saw uh, glimpses of this uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, and here our Lord is the fulfillment of all that uh, in the second person of the Trinity. Why, why is this important for us? Well, it's important for us because our, our life as Christians is 
Trinitarian. Our spiritual life, the foundation of all that we are, is fundamentally founded on the Holy Trinity. And here Dom Goranjay explains to us this more, more perfectly. When the fullness of time had come, the Father sends us His Son. And this uncreated Word brings light to our understanding. The Father and the Son sends the Spirit. And the Spirit brings love to our will. And the Father, who cannot be sent, comes of Himself and gives Himself to our soul, giving her a power beyond her own strength. It's the Holy Trinity that are the foundation of all that we are as Catholics. That's why if you notice in your missal, on the, uh, in the ferial days, the first ferial mass, uh, 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 votive mass for, for the week, Monday, is the votive mass of the Holy Trinity. Because all the Christians dedicated Monday, the first day of the week, to, to the Holy Trinity. Our, our life, our work must begin uh, with our incorporation in this beautiful mystery of the Trinity. Uh, our, uh, our Lord Himself possessed the beatific vision in His human soul. And He so lived, says Archbishop Lefebvre, by the glory of the Blessed Trinity. And as He was Himself God, the Son of God, all the more did He live uh, by the, His divine nature of the life of the Holy Trinity. And that must be our life. Elevated uh, by grace, by uh, the Holy Trinity. St. Basil explains this working more deeply, explaining to us that the soul leaving behind all created things contemplates the divine nature, eternal being, unchangeable, free from affection, simple, not subject to composition, indivisible, inaccessible light, ineffable power, a grandeur unlimited, a most brilliant glory, goodness worthy of all desire, unequaled beauty which wounds and impresses the soul so deeply that it cannot express it in the words. So there we see uh, uh, the three divine persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. The Father being the principle of all things, the cause of all that exists, the source of all life. From Him proceeds the font of all that is created, the wisdom, the power, the most perfect image of the invisible uh, God in all things. The Son, born of the Father, God living in God. And this is this point, God living in God. God was perfectly happy uh, before all of creation. He did not need uh, to create us. And when the saints look at this mystery, why then did God create? The, the only answer they can come up with is that love uh, of God is diffusive. God, uh, in His love, wants to extend himself, wants to give of himself uh, in creation. And in a more intimate way does he do that with us and with the, the angels. Uh, they are uh, also rational beings. He extends himself to us and to the holy angels in heaven. Uh, explaining this uh, reality for us, Father Lean, the great spiritual writer, explains that when our will is conformed to that of our Lord, then God the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost come and communicate themselves to us. They come to remain in the possession of the soul as long as the soul wills to hold him as its own. And that possession of God would endure for all eternity were we never thereafter to put ourselves at variance with his will by sin. 
and this is the the danger for us we can lose this uh, this in, in dwelling of the trinity within us by mortal sin uh, and this is for us a great thing to pause and reflect upon uh, revealing us us her own experience in this reality saint teresa of avila explains that the most holy trinity reveals itself to the soul in all three persons first of all the spirit becomes enkindled and is illumined as it were by a cloud of the most extreme brightness it sees there three persons individually and yet by a wonderful type of knowledge which is given to it the soul realizes that most certainly and truly all these three persons are one substance one power and one knowledge one god almighty so that what we hold by faith the soul may be said to grasp it seems better to say by sight although nothing is seen by the eyes of the body or with the imagination for it is not imaginary vision he all three persons communicate themselves to the soul and speak to it explaining to it those words of our lord in the gospel namely that he that uh, and the father and the holy ghost will come to dwell in his soul uh, which loves him and keeps his commandments of all the truths in our faith this truth of the holy trinity is the only one that cannot not be in other words every other truth we believe in our lady the blessed sacrament all the other truths that we love and we are devoted to they didn't have to be our lord god didn't have to make the blessed virgin mary he didn't have to give us himself in the blessed sacrament but god cannot not be trinity so much so that the early christians explained would explain to both the muslims and the jew as that god if when we think about god we speak about god and the bible is very clear in the old testament we speak about god we speak about his word and we speak about his spirit three somewhat distinct realities and yet the same one or one substantial reality as part of god so if we believe in god we believe in his word we believe in his spirit then we must implicitly be saying that we believe in trinity and that's what the doctrine of the trinity is god's word god's spirit and god himself all uh, substantially one divine reality one substance one god but three divine persons and how this works in god is, is still a mystery for us uh, because when we think of person and then we apply that to god we would almost say are we saying that god is schizophrenic no we're not saying that in god the persons are not the same way that we are three different persons uh, it's an again it's like what i said about god's existence uh, and god's mode of being that we are we only share in personality that god has created for us as individuals in god it's far more superior far more profound and we are hopefully have shown you a little bit of that in just quoting some of the works of the saints on this great mystery for us uh, one thing then uh, we can see there is this reality of god father son and holy ghost and prior to the fall it was easy for man to communicate with god to speak with god and we see this in the book of genesis again god spoke with adam god the bible says walked with adam in the garden there was this continual uh communication and it was as though uh you know the, the expression that's usually walked as though they were best friends very easy very uh intimate uh very um we might say uh, 
deep relationship between Adam and God. And what, what broke that? Uh, the sin, original sin. And original sin and actual sin that we have, not just original sin because that we could say is washed away in baptism, but our actual sins, they make it hard. They make the divine life, the, the spiritual life very difficult because we tend to be very much focused on ourselves. Uh, too much introverted, too much me, myself and I. And therefore we start to have in the world uh, uh, this spirit of the unholy trinity. And you know, with the, the devil, his spirit, his word, uh, we get perverted by the unholy trinity. And we see, we see this in the world today, the spirit of the ugly, the spirit of impurity, perversion, insanity, and everything that, that God had made uh, the family, the order, authority, structure, uh, beauty, uh, the devil takes it and, and, and puts it on its head. So there's, there's no longer order, there's no longer structure, no longer beauty, uh, there's no longer modesty, there's no longer um, love for neighbor, it's love of self, it's perverted, everything, destruction of the family, destruction of authority, uh, destruction of the hierarchy, uh, everything is no longer centered on God, it's centered on on man and, and self-glorification on the glory of God, uh, we see the unholy trinity. You see the, the holy trinity that is, is imbibed in our soul and blessing us and blessing the world, or we have the unholy trinity which is perverting us and perverting the world. And this is what we, we are witnessing uh, on a mass scale uh, today, worldwide. And I, I don't want to focus on that. Uh, I want to focus more on the reality of the, the Trinity. And explaining for us then the importance of our focus on the Trinity, Dom Guranjay, that great master of the liturgy, explains for us the blessed union whereby God is in man and man is in God. Union that brings us to adoption by the Father, to brotherhood with the Son, and to our eternal inheritance. But uh, how has this indwelling of God in his creatures being formed gratuitously, a free gift of God, by God's eternal love. And how long will it last? Forever, unless man himself refuses to give uh, love for love. Mortal sin admitted into the soul, the divine indwelling is at once ended. The very moment that sanctifying grace is lost. The three persons who had taken up their abode in the soul and were united with her, abandoned her, God would no longer uh, would be uh, there saved by immensity, but the soul would not possess him as she did before. Then would Satan set up uh, again his wretched kingdom within her, the kingdom of his vile trinity, concupiscence of the flesh, concupiscence of the eyes, and the pride of life. Woe then, he says, to man who uh, would dare to defy his God by such a rebellion and put evil in the place of infinite good. And this is, this is what we do when we sin, mortally. We replace the infinite God, the goodness of God, the only thing capable of satisfying us in this world. Uh, because man, uh, and you, you can see this particularly with the sin of greed, um, the greedy man could have a trillions and he's still not happy, he wants more. Because man by nature has an infinite capacity the, the, to be satisfied and nothing in this world will ever satisfy us but the Trinity that is why the saints who often were uh, in this world very wealthy very successful would abandon it all 
because they possessed uh, and wanted to possess in an even more profound manner the greatest treasure, the, the Holy Trinity, uh, the indwelling in the soul. That is the, the real satisfaction for us. Uh, you know, the, the spirit of the devil brings with it many, uh, on a natural level, many spiritual illnesses, the, the sadness, discouragement, uh, depression, sometimes even physical illness as a result of all these things uh, today. Uh, the God and the Trinity, on the contrary, bring with us peace and joy and happiness that the world cannot understand. Uh, this is the remedy for our, our illnesses today, the joy that is contained in the friendship, the intimate friendship of the Trinity. St. John of the Cross, that great master of the, the spiritual life, explains that uh, this uh, trinity, this breathing of the Holy Ghost in the soul, is uh, this gift where God transforms it into himself. It is to the soul a joy so deep, so exquisite, and so sublime that no mortal tongue can describe it. No human understanding as such conceives it in any degree. Uh, this, however, is what takes place by communication and participation. God himself causing it in the soul, for this is to be transformed into the three persons in power, wisdom, and love. And herein it is that the soul becomes like unto God. We are become godly, sanctified in God and his presence. And speaking on this point, Father Francis Lieberman, who was the founder of, uh, one of the co-founders of that famous congregation to which Archbishop Lefebvre belonged to, the, the Holy Ghost Fathers, uh, he would, uh, speaking on this, point out that uh, every act in this life in which this union with God is not exercised or aimed at is a lost act and useless. It is only in aiming at this union in and through its actions that the soul finds its happiness, for it uh, can be happy only when it is practically in line with the purpose for which it has been created. And, you know, if I can say on this point, you know, many years of thought and contemplation on, on this point, um, I just, I look at so many souls, good souls who go to Mass, pray to prayers, and, you know, but, and you wonder why they are not growing in, in the grace of our Lord, grace of the Trinity. And it is precisely because of what Father Lehman says, they they do so many things, and they're good things, they're not bad things. But in doing them, they are not aiming at a greater union for the love of God. For example, you, you might cook, uh, but you're not born to cook or clean. You're born to get to heaven, and in going to heaven, part of that is going to mean you're going to have to cook and clean and scrub, and you're going to have to do all these things. But they are not the purpose of your life. So sometimes we get this, get upset, oh, I didn't cook properly, or Johnny got in my way, or... The phone interrupted me. The purpose of your life is not to do that thing that you're doing. The purpose is to deepen your, your union with God. Uh, whether somebody interrupts, it's not relevant. It's not important. And what's my point? So many people, are good people, they are stunted in their spiritual growth because they are petty and childish. They're focused on things which are in themselves totally irrelevant. What Johnny is doing, what Louis said, and what he thinks, and and what he, this person thinks, instead of thinking to themselves, uh, you know, from the fruits of my contemplation, what good can I do for the souls? Whether in the parish, in the town, in the neighborhood, uh, wherever. What good can I do? What a blessing can I be to my parents, my teachers, my priests, whatever. 
where can I be a light in this world? Instead of worrying, oh, is God angry with me? Uh, is my parents angry with me? My neighbor angry? Is my spouse angry? Yes, not important. What, about, what I should be doing is deepening my love for God and the fruits of that should be shown in my thoughts of others, my desire to do good at every moment, every opportunity, and to think ahead. I know this occasion is coming up in the parish. This occasion up is coming up in my family, in my life. What can I do? How can I assist? What can I um, put forward? This is a challenge. You know, we don't have to look for opportunities. We can just see in our in our mind. Well, with these opportunities are coming up, um, or when I'm shopping, I know that. Uh, Mary loves these things. What can I do to buy this for Mary or, or Johnny or Louis? Uh, this is something that they, they treasure. Uh, this is the fruits of my prayer. This is the fruits of my, uh, my indwelling in the Trinity. Why? Because the Trinity thinks of us every moment. Well, the fruits of that should be we become like the Trinity, which is selfless. Selfless. Our Lord, when he was on earth, we know he was God in human form and how selfless he was. How humble, obedient, docile, generous, loving, and giving he was every moment. He never stopped uh, uh, even allowing them to crucify him uh, as a lamb led to the slaughter. And what a beautiful, docile attitude our Lord had. Uh, and, and that should be us. Of course, there were occasions when our Lord's life, when it came to, and notice the difference, it came to dishonoring his father or uh, dishonoring eternal truths. There he came out very strongly, very bluntly. But it wasn't just because, as when we do, when, my, when you offend me or personally or my emotions, then, yeah, you'll hear it from me. Uh, but when principles are offended, no, we're not, uh, uh, we're not concerned. No, our Lord, when principles, yeah, there he said something, there he did something. But outside of that, the beautiful, docile, humble, giving attitude. That's what it means to reflect the Trinity. That, and, and this reality is not seen. It's not seen in any other religion. Why? Because those other religions can only give a natural spirit. You know, the, the worldly and uh, spirit of Judaism, you know, and the very materialistic, you know, the violent spirit of Islam. Uh, then, you know, you can't have a rational discussion as such with a Muslim. Good luck to you if you, you can. Huh? But even there, the whole religion is based on violence because it's natural. It's not based, it's not a divine reality. Our, our religion is based on grace, goodness. Yeah, and there are times when we do fight. There's a time for it. Uh, but our foundation of our religion is not based on fighting like Islam is. Uh, it's based on this charity, this love of God. And in the past, when we once were charitable, we had institutions run by religious who laid down their life to serve. Uh, hospitals run by nuns. You know, in this town, that convent that they have there was literally a few hundred nuns were there. But no longer that charity exists. And so like the, the convent that's empty, their churches are empty because the, the life founded on the Trinity is being thrown away by us. And the consequence, the spirit of the world, the spirit of perversion, the devil, uh, comes in its place. And you see why there's so many unhappy marriages, unhappy uh, families, divided, because each one is about insisting upon themselves, not upon laying their life down for the brethren. Uh, becoming selfless. Uh, uh, commenting on this, uh, says Archbishop Lefebvre, uh, one who lived a life of selflessness, says, It is moreover a, a great consolation to know that the love of God for us depends upon opening our soul to receive it. 
That is all. And it is on this point that we must always examine ourselves. Have I within me reserved areas which I do not want our Lord to see and enter? Because if he is light, it penetrates there, I would be obliged to acknowledge the wounds that are still to be found in me and which I do not want to heal. How many Christians are only Christians by half, he says. Uh, ask them to make a retreat, to enter into silence and to be alone with our Lord, alone with the one who sustains them in existence, one on one with the one who gives uh, them life, who gives them all and who will judge them. They flee. They are afraid that the secret of their hearts would be unveiled, whereas that would do them so much good. So much good because they would be able to expose the superficial, the empty. And, you know, so much of what makes us superficial and empty is often based on perhaps sometimes legitimate fears, anxiety. What happens if tomorrow this or tomorrow that? So therefore we, we hoard uh, and we think about ourselves. It's self-preservation. It's a, it's a natural element in nature. But because we are afraid, we're not willing to trust in God to let go. And therefore we become all the more self-absorbed. And we, we become empty vessels for the Trinity. He cannot use us. We cannot, uh, he cannot penetrate into us because we, uh, we hold back. We don't let him in. And, and if small trickles can enter because of the hardness of our hearts which are focused on self. Each person on the Trinity, on the contrary, is perfect, substantial, and selfless. And this is what they came to reflect in us so that we we may give glory to them and bring glory to God on earth. And simply to remind you of the, the beautiful prayer, and in many ways this prayer contains so much mystery in it, of uh, the angel of Fatima told the children, the prayer of the Holy Trinity, uh, O most Holy Trinity, Father and Son and Holy Ghost, I adore thee profoundly, I offer thee the most precious body, blood and soul and divinity of Jesus Christ, truly present in all the tabernacles of the world in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges and indifference by which he is offended by the infinite merits of the sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary, I beg the conversion of poor sinners. Let us reflect on this reality. Ask in Our Lady. She is the one and only creature that we say in theology that she touches the boundaries of the divinity. She becomes closest to uh, the God on earth. And so let us ask her uh, through her infinite merits that we may be uh, faithful uh, dwelling places for the Holy Trinity. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Amen.